Hi, everyone. Susie O here. Just want to let all of you know that the certificates of deposit at Alliant Credit Union are now at, for a six-month CD, 5%, a 12- to 17-month CD, 5.15%, and an 18- to 23-month CD, 4.90%. And for those amounts of $75,000 or more, just add on 0.5% to those rates. Go to myalliant.com and check it out. August 12th, 2021. Good morning, Miss Travis. Good morning, Susie. You know why you're so happy, I bet? I do know why, but tell everyone else why. She's happy, number one, because her family is here. Her twin sister, Lynn, her husband, Tom, and John, KT's brother, my brother-in-law. They're all here on the island, and they came yesterday to celebrate... Colo's birthday. birthday. Our little baby boy, what, at 42. Yeah. He's getting old. He is. He's such a big guy. <laughs> he's so big. I wish he's all muscle. He's such a hunk. But anyway, is that bad to call him that? Yeah. All right. So forget it. I didn't say that, but he really is. Okay. Here's what we really, though, want to tell all of you. Last Sunday, I started a hint at the sweepstakes that Alliant Credit Union is offering. And now we're going to go into detail about it. So you first have to know that Alliant Credit Union is going to be giving away in this sweepstakes a total of $20,000. Wow. There's going to be one $10,000 grand prize, one $5,000 second place winner, and five $1,000 third place winners. Yeah, but that's not the best part. The best part is the grand prize winner wins a virtual one-on-one with Susie. And the second and third prize winners will be featured on Susie's and KT's podcast. Yes. We have to feature them on our, our Thursday podcast. We'll feature them however they want to be featured. So but, we're real excited. This is really great news. But, but Susie's going to tell you why she's telling you now. She's giving you a little bit of a head start. Yeah. So here's what you all need to understand, that the sweepstakes officially start September 13th. But there's an extra treat for anyone who opens the Ultimate Opportunity Savings Account at Alliant before September 13th. Now listen, for those of you who already have opened up your Ultimate Opportunity Savings Account, you're automatically going to be entered into the sweepstakes, but your name is going to be entered twice. Wow, that's great. times. If you open up the Ultimate Opportunity Savings Account and fund it before September 13th, your name is going to be entered twice as well. After that, from September 13th till October 13th, if you open up an account, 
your name is only entered once. So if you're going to take advantage of this, now is the time to do it. So really, I am asking all of you to go to myalliant.com. That is where you need to go. M-Y-A-L-L-I-A-N-T.com. And that is where you open up your account, you fund it, and automatically your name will be entered. Now, doesn't even matter. I just have to say this about the sweepstakes, even though it is extraordinary. You got to take advantage of the offers that Alliant Credit Union is giving you right now, besides one of the highest interest rates out there of 0.55%. Besides the fact if you put $100 a month in every month for 12 consecutive months, you get $100. You also, if you want to, can open up a checking account, and the checking account pays you 0.25%. No fees, no charges, nothing. You have got to take advantage of this. So, all right, a Lion Credit Union, who are you going to be giving almost $20,000 to? That is the question at hand, and if you're smart, it will be one of you. All right. This is Ask Susie Ann. KT. Anything. So are you ready? I'm ready. I have a good lineup today. That's a hard thing to follow what we just announced. I know. We really... Who gives away $20,000 these days? Not a lot of people, but the Alliant family has become... Part of our really, real family. Yeah, a really great group of folks. We we love our meetings with them. We talk every week. And it's just really a good group of people. We're excited. They're good. I just have to say this, and then we'll come off of this. They're good because they really care about all of you. Yeah. They're really good. Who else would have done what they have done over this past year with the $100 giveaway, with no fees, with a high interest rate, and now $20,000 if they didn't care about you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Go okay, on, Okay. My Ms. first Travis. question, Susie, is from Tracy. So Tracy says, my mama will be 75 in December. I am her only child. Tracy's 53, everyone. She is showing signs of early dementia, but does not want to be tested. So I'm trying to get as much in order as I can before she's unable to do anything on her own. I am already on all of her investments and bank accounts. Do I still need to get the revocable trust and will since I'm her only child? I ordered your must-have documents a month ago, but I have not completed them yet. I'm not sure if I need to now. Susie, I have one more question before you answer that from Anne, which is very similar. And it says, hello, Susie and KT. I love hear the two of you laugh and giggle on your way through a podcast. And then <laughs> she goes on to talk about us and how she has a lot of fun with us. But her question is this, her 90-year-old mom owns a condo in Florida and has 20000 in a high-yield savings account. She has no other investments. The deed to the property is in her name and her son, my husband. So that's Anne's husband. The savings account is in both of their names also. So the question is the same as the similar as Tracy. Does she still need a trust since her husband is on the deed and savings account? She also has a medical directive and will. So Anne and Tracy have a similar question about the need of must-have documents. All right. So here's the thing. Let's let's first deal with Tracy's, if okay. that's all right, KT, which is this. Tracy, you already have the must-have documents. You already have paid for them. Therefore, why not just do them? 
because, you know, you have to make sure that everything is in order. And you have to know that even though you own everything jointly and things like that, that if mom becomes incapacitated all of a sudden and and who knows what can happen, you want to know that you have control over everything when it comes to mama. And that includes her directions to her doctors, you deciding up certain medical things for mom and things like that. Also, where do all of mom's things go that are in her house? You really want everything set up legitimately. So therefore, since you already have spent the money to do it, can you just put everything in trust? And in the long run, I think you'll be far better off. That's for... Now I just want to add something else. She's her only daughter. Yes. And Tracy, you're 53. Yes, I was going to say that. She needs one for herself. You need your own will and trust. Well, what I was going to say, and also, Tracy, so many times we assume that, of course, because mommy's older than us, that mommy's going to go before we do. And so therefore, those documents will absolutely protect your mother because you're going to choose who steps in if your mother is declared incompetent if you're not there. Maybe both of you are in a car crash and you become incompetent yourself. Things happen in life. So please do the must-have documents, not only to protect yourself and how easy things can be, but more, most importantly, in this circumstance, to protect mama. All right. Now, Anne, your answer to your question is almost identical to Tracy's, believe it or not, because here's what you're not thinking about. All right. Your husband and his mother own a property and both of their names are on the property. And now mom wants to sell the property, let's just say, or your husband wants to sell the property, but your mother in law is now incapacitated. It will take both of their signatures to sign. And if she's incapacitated, let's say that's true, she can't sign. Therefore, if you don't have a will and a trust and everything, then what's going to happen is this, you're going to have to have her declared incompetent, get a conservatorship for her, that could be $5,000 or more. And it's just ridiculous. All you need is to own it in a living revocable trust that says if one of them becomes incapacitated, the other can sign. Now, again, what's to say that something doesn't happen to your husband? And now he can't sign and your mother-in-law wants to sell, but she can't sell because he's incapacitated. So can you all understand that there are more reasons why? If you really want to protect your loved ones, rather than just putting both names on a deed or whatever, or holding an account in joint tenancy, there's a reason why you seriously need a living revocable trust and a will, an advanced directive, a durable power of attorney for health care, and a financial power of attorney. If you're looking for those, seriously, everybody, just go to suzyorman.com slash offer and the must-have documents, which were created by my own trust lawyer. It's the documents I use. You can pick them up for $69 on that site. And it's they're, they're worth over $2,500, and you can share them with your family members, something you all should think about and do. Okay. Susie, next question is from Deanna. And I want to say hi to Deanna's twins, 
Hi, twins. I'm a twin. So can you please go over the best way to liquidate a regular 401k plan? I have 175000 in IRA accounts, Roth and regular, and I have 400000 in a regular 401k. I'm 59 and a half years old. I'm still working. I plan to retire at 67. Should I start transferring money now from my regular 401k to my Roth IRA in small amounts so that I will pay taxes now? Or what is the best way for using this 401k? Deanna, it's hard for me to answer that question for you because I don't know how much money you're making per year right now. But given that you're only eight years away from retiring and therefore probably having to use this money to live on, and therefore you will be in a lower income tax bracket most likely than you are now, I probably would not be transferring amounts over to a Roth. I would, however, be contributing as much as I possibly could to a Roth 401k if your employer offers it. But I just don't think there will be enough time for you to make up for the taxes that you will pay, even if it's small amounts. So I would just leave everything like it is, but new contributions to a Roth 401k. Susie, I have another question about 401ks, and here it is. Is it true that if I leave my company, the company would take back their match investment? It's possible that it could be true. Some 401k companies, so some companies that you work for, have what's called a vesting period, which means they will match your contribution meaning you put a dollar into your 401k, maybe they give you a dollar, 50 cents, 25 cents, some portion up to about 6% of your base pay. But for you to be able to keep that money that they're giving you, they want to make sure that you've worked with them for a number of years. It could be five years, four years, one year, up to the company. So if your company has a vesting period, for you to qualify for your match to be able to keep it, and you leave before that time, you do not get to keep it and they get to take it back. Mm, that's good to know. I didn't know that. I know that there's a vesting period, but I didn't know they would take it back. Well, that's what a vesting period is. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. <laughs> this next question is from Anonymous... So I like when it says anonymous. Thank you for your guidance, Susie. Quick question. I take full care of my grandparents. Both live in another country. The cost before the exchange rate is about $800 a month when no additional medical expenses come up. Are there any tax or other benefits for this expense, or can I list this expense on my taxes under donations? Funny that they said anonymous. Wouldn't you think that they would want everybody to know that they're taking care of their grandparents? Mm, I don't know. Some people don't. Well, obviously this person doesn't. So anonymous, it depends. If your grandparents live in another country and they're U.S. citizens and you are providing more than half of their income, and in this case, you're taking full care of them, so you're providing 100% of their income, then you could claim them as dependents. Hmm. However, if they are not U.S. citizens, then you cannot get 
any deductions whatsoever. So it depends on whether they're citizens or not. But if they are, yeah, there's something they can do. Does a dependent have to be a family member? Not necessarily, but... Can be a friend? Well, it could be a friend, but usually they want to see that it's a parent, a grandparent, that there is some connection there. Mm. Yes. Okay. Next question is from Robert. Hi, KT and Susie. What made you smile when you said Robert? Because I think of our Robert. Tell everybody who our Robert is. Wait, they all know our Robert. They hear his voice. Robert Robert is is our editor. Robert is our everything bagel. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I like to think of. He's behind the scenes of the Women in Money podcast. He puts the theme song there and all kinds of things. He takes Susie's little coughs out. If we laugh too much, he takes half of the laughter out. (laughs) Sometimes he, he leaves in too much. We love Robert. He makes us sound good and look good. He makes us sound good. I was going to say, I don't think he makes us look so good, but that's besides the point. All right, go on. So this says, hi, Katie and Susie. I set up a living revocable trust about 16 years ago with an attorney. Needless to say, I now have many changes I would like to make. I would like to use your must-have documents, which I purchased. Good choice, Robert. My current trust name is the Robert J. Haga 2005 Trust. Now, his question is this. Once he, these are good questions, by the way. Once he generates the new trust docs with Susie's program and have them notarized, do I need to revoke the old trust? Okay, that's the first. Wait, let me answer that question first and then go to the next one. Okay. So, Robert, when you make a change, which I do all the time, You just need to make sure that you keep your old trust document someplace, and then it will go according to date. They will see that you have a new trust, same name and everything, but a new notary date, a later date that will absolutely replace the old one. So it's not like you revoke it. It's you're amending it by the new trust documents, and therefore it automatically replaces your old trust. All right, next. So that you just answered the second question. Do I rename the new trust and include a date? No, the trust always will be the name of the original trust, like Susie Orman, trustee for the Susie Orman Living Trust, let's say dated in the year 2000, that will always be the name of my trust, no matter how many times I redo it. So that original date of when you originally did the trust sticks with you forever. All right. So how do you, so when you said the updated date on it, explain that. Well, the updated date is the new one, but he never changes the original title. So KT, our trusts, are dated Kathy Ann Travis Trust, 2000. That is the date that will always be your living revocable trust. So if you do a new one, it still has that original date, but the date that it's notarized and witnessed is updated. Oh, okay. She just answered the question. So everyone, the notary date is the the most current that they will follow. That's right. Very, 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 very important. Yeah, yeah. Why you need to have that notarized. Yeah. Okay, then it said, so you answered this question, should I keep the old trust docs together with the new? 
yeah, or shred I, them or yeah, shred them. I would I would keep them. <laughs> you should see the pile of old trust. Do you know how many? I'm thinking, my God, Susie, I need a locker for all the times we made changes. Yeah, but I just keep them and it's whatever. The truth of the matter is if you got rid of the old ones and that was the only one around and all fine. But given, here's the thing, given that the date goes all the way back, you might have a stickler that in the family or somebody that wants to see all the versions and to make sure that this is the latest in everything. So I just keep them for that reason. And then the the last question is this, I titled my home same with brokerage and bank accounts with the original trust name created. So the title shows owner, Robert J. Haga, and his original date. Does this now need to be changed with my new trust name? No, you're you're not going to have a new trust name because your name of your new trust is going to be the same. It's where everything goes according to that trust will be different. And the banks and everybody don't need to know who you're leaving things to. So the answer for Robert, the short answer is that your original trust is the name that stays. And when you make your changes and update it, the notarized date on that final page will determine it's the most current version. That's right. Correct. There you go. That's easy. And you Susie's, it's real easy to keep changing it. We do it all the time. Okay, next question. This is from Sarah. Hi, KT and Susie. Now that I'm married, I think I will need to file my taxes as married filing separate because my husband is a veteran and due to his disability, he has not been required to file taxes. From past podcasts, I learned from Susie that if I'm filing married and separately, and earning more than $10,000, I am ineligible to contribute to my Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. I have been unsure of the best way to continue saving for my retirement. I know how Susie loves the Roth IRAs. Is there any way around my situation? Should I open a traditional IRA, even though it's not the most tax advantaged for me? Please advise. Yeah, so the truth of the matter is, Sarah, you could... If you're married, filing separately, you could open a traditional IRA, believe it or not. And given that your husband isn't covered by any retirement plans at work and everything, and maybe I'll do something about that this coming Sunday. What you can do if you are married, finally, separately when it comes to retirement accounts. However, in your situation, just because he hasn't been required to file a tax return because he doesn't obviously make enough money and everything. The truth of the matter is you both can still file a joint tax return. There's nothing keeping you from doing so. So if I were you, I would file married, finally, jointly, include whatever it is that he's getting on disability, make it all one, and then you can have your Roth IRA like you want. However, if for whatever reason you don't want to do that, then listen up on Sunday, and I will explain other ways and other things that you can do. Because you can And if you're married, finally, separately, there are things that you can do with the traditional IRA. All right. This next question is from Michael. I like the, the, I have three men questions. I like this one. Hi, KT and Susie. I started a new job and he wrote, yay. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations, Michael. 
One of the benefits is an employee stock purchase plan. I've never worked at a company that had this option. I contribute the max to my employer-sponsored retirement account each year, and I have a Roth IRA maxed out as well. I can allot about 3% of my pay to the ESSP. Is this a good idea for investing? Or, Susie, should I be using this money towards my mortgage? And Michael's only debt is his mortgage. What Does, should he do? How old's Michael? I don't think he told me his age. Right, regardless of how old you are, Michael, you should absolutely do the employee stock purchase plan. What that is, everybody, is sometimes you work for an employer, and their employer is actually a company that has stock on the exchange that's sold, that's traded, that's bought, that's everything, all right? And they offer it to their employees to be able to purchase it. And they usually offer it at a 15% discount. So you can buy the employer's stock for 15% discount. And if you wanted to, you could turn around and in most cases, sell it right away. Obviously, you would pay ordinary income tax on that gain. But I think it's a fabulous thing for you to take advantage of if you know that your company is a good company. That's the key. So if you have faith in this company, their stock is healthy. A lot of people have been purchasing it in the stock market. I would do it if I were you. Okay. So last email, Susie, is not a question, but it's from Mark and it was subject concerned. So I read it. And this is what Mark has to say. He said, hi, Susie. I followed you for years and I'm a big fan of your advice. However, lately, I've been concerned with some of the positions you're taking. You seem to be happy that the moratorium on evictions mm -hmm. has been extended. What about the landlords that still have to pay taxes, maintenance, and their own bills? What are they supposed to do? Is the government, meaning the taxpayers, supposed to bail them out as well? I don't see that happening. Plus, the U.S. is in trillions and trillions of dollars of debt already. When is enough enough? Also, canceling some portion of student debt. This is another huge program that we simply can't afford. Should those that are able to make payments on their loans also get a portion canceled? What happened to personal responsibility for those that knowingly take out loans knowing they will need to be repaid? There are plenty of available jobs out there People need to take personal responsibility and make enough money to support themselves. It's called being an adult and not depending on the government for handouts. And Mark ends with this. He said, I wish the best for you and KT, and I'll still be a fan of your podcast. <laughs> well, first of all, Mark, thanks for being a fan. But Susie, what do you want to say to Mark? So Mark, interesting, KT, that you chose this. I did. Here's the thing. In normal times, I can understand exactly where you're coming from, truthfully. And on some level, I agree. But we aren't in normal times. For the past almost two years now, we have been hit with a pandemic. We've been hit with a total shutdown of the entire economy. Never has that happened before in the history of the United States of America. And everything came to a halt. 
And now many people who possibly took out those loans, knowing for sure that they could afford it, knowing for sure that they were going to be able to pay the rent because they had good paying jobs, because they had money in emergency funds, because everything was going the way that it was supposed to be going, disappeared from them. Their jobs disappeared. They weren't able to go out. They had to stay home and take care of the kids. They had to do lots of things that nobody ever thought anybody would have to do. Especially the single moms that we hear from. Or the single dads or whatever it may be. And so you have to really look at this situation very, very differently. A lot of the renters were totally up to date with their rent before all of this happened. But then you have people that were making $5,000 a month as dealers in Las Vegas with three kids and everything was doing great and Las Vegas shut down and then everything stopped and there was absolutely no place for them to get another job. And what were they supposed to do? Get kicked out and live on the streets and spread the pandemic and everything? In terms of student loans, the same thing. So I understand your concern. But the truth of the matter is, for the landlords, there was $48 billion, 46 or $48 billion that was supposed to be distributed to help these landlords from their tenants not being able to pay the rent. But the states and the cities, they never got around to really distributing more than $3 billion of it. So there are resources out there to help everybody. So at this point in time, The reason that I'm happy that the moratorium was extended is because there's too many people out there that still don't know how to solve their problems. There are jobs that are out there, absolutely. But you have to always have compassion and faith that people are doing the best that they can possibly do in their situation and not just come down on them because they should be adults and get their act together. It just... It's just, you have to be a little bit more compassionate in my viewpoint, because I'm the one reading with KT emails that would break your heart, break your heart. And what are they going to do? But I honor your opinion. And I love that you wrote in. And I love that you're going to continue to listen to our podcast. All right, KT, you know, quizzy time. Now, I don't expect you to absolutely know the answer to this question. But it's one that I think that's important that people do know the answer to it. Okay, give give it a shot. All right. So does that take the pressure off of you? No, give it it a shot. All right. This is from Judy. She says, I am no longer living with my husband, but we still file married filing separately. And I have heard you say, therefore, I cannot open a Roth IRA if I make over $10,000. Just checking, is that true? (laughs) What is that face for? Because she's not living with him, but they're still filing married. Filing separately. So they're married. They haven't gotten divorced yet. They're not living together, but they're still filing married, filing separately. Hmm. So the answer is a yes or no? Yes. All right, I'll give it a shot. Yes. That's still true? Yes. You're positive? No. (laughs) Wait, was no your answer? Yes. (laughs) Yes, no was your answer? Yes, no. (laughs) So 
<laughs> so since I didn't expect you to absolutely get that, ding, 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 <clears throat> ding, no, ding, ding, did ding. I, did I get it? So what's your answer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hey, why break a record? Why break your why record? Break my record? Really, I don't know how to make any other sounds. Why break my So, Judy, here's what you and everybody else needs to understand. If you are not living with your spouse and you are finally married, finally separately, yes, you in that situation, because you're not living together, can open up a Roth IRA and fund it to the max as long as you are making under $125,000 a year of adjusted gross what income. Is, what does that have to do with it, living? What does that have to do with it? What no if longer, someone's in the military? The no, well, they're, they're still, that's different, okay. right? But if you're no longer living together, right, you're, you have separate addresses and everything, yes, you can have a Roth IRA in that situation, which is right on Sunday. I should do a whole nother Susie school on the intricacies of this married finally jointly versus married finally separately, living together, not living together, the whole thing when it comes to a Roth and a traditional IRA. All right, KT, that brings us to the end. So Susie, Sunday, are you going to tell them more about the sweepstakes? I'll mention the sweepstakes again to them, but really, I'm just going to say it again. If you have not yet opened the Ultimate Opportunity Savings Account, go to myalliant.com right now, open one up, fund it, and guess what, everybody? Your name will be entered twice, twice. to win 10000 5000 or five of you are going to win $1,000 each. Come on, you got everything to gain and nothing to lose until Sunday. We want all of you to do what, KT? Stay safe. Stay strong. Stay secure. And be smart and open up your Alliant Credit Union account. All right, everybody. See you Sunday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman is acting as a certified financial planner, advisor, a certified financial analyst, an economist, CPA, accountant, or lawyer. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman make any recommendations as to any specific securities or investments. All content contained in this podcast is for informational and general purposes only and does not constitute financial accounting or legal advice. You should consult your own tax, legal, and financial advisors regarding your particular situation. Neither Susie Orman Media nor Susie Orman accepts any responsibility for any losses which may arise from accessing or reliance on information in this podcast. And to the fullest extent permitted by law, we exclude all liability for loss, damages, direct or indirect, arising from the use of this information. The must-have documents discussed in this podcast are legal documents created by a lawyer and distributed by Hay House.